Hello, 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 and welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where we help passionate people create stable income with flexible schedules by getting ideal nonprofit clients with the best grant writing and nonprofit sales strategies in the industry. My name is Holly Rustic, and I went from working 50 plus hours per week as a grant writer inside a nonprofit, living paycheck to paycheck, to opening my own freelance grant writing business and only working part-time hours, earning more than I ever had before. Inside our programs, the Freelance Grant Writer Academy and the Grant Professional Mentorship, I have helped more than 100 changemakers get out of toxic 9-to-5 jobs and replace their full-time incomes while working part-time as a grant writer from home and around the world. Simply by learning how to write grants through our grants writing formula and implementing our unique approach to nonprofit sales. Join these aspiring and seasoned grant writers so you too can secure ideal nonprofit clients with cause areas that you fully believe in, get them massive funding, and be able to set your own schedule and revenue goals. Be sure to join our weekly email newsletter, The Freelance Grant Writer Hub Haven, where you get stress-free nuggets on the financial stability components and skills of being a freelance grant writer. Plus, you get updates about the Freelance Grant Writer Academy. Just go to grantwritingandfunding.com to subscribe. And now let's get ready for the most bold, empowering, and approachable coaching and conversations you've ever heard. Let's create a higher standard of stability freedom, and legacy together. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here at Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to another episode of the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where we help you master grant writing skills, and we help you get paid to write grants through our Freelance Grant Writer Academy. Super excited about it. So if that sounds like something you want to do to get out of the nonprofit you're currently working in, or if you've already started a freelance grant writing business, but it just has not taken off and you are not making any money, be sure to join the Freelance Grant Writer Academy waitlist. You can jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com to get more information while you're there. Join our free hub haven where you'll get stress-free grant writing nuggets every single week and you'll find out when the podcast drops. We have a special guest on the podcast today, and that is Dr. Chris Lambert. And he is the founder CEO of Life Remodeled. And he also has a book, Next Level Nonprofit, where he talks about the operating systems for a nonprofit organization. And he gives you a four-piece framework. So you're definitely gonna want to listen today, all you nonprofit leaders out there, especially to really hear how to do this. So um, he's a great, and he likes to consider managers as coaches. So I really, really like that as well. So for all of today's show notes, go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 310. Can you believe we're on our 310th episode? Like that is bonkers. This podcast started off as a bet. (laughs) And since 2017, we now have over 300 podcast episodes. Um, years later, and it is amazing that we drop these episodes every single week. So thank you for tuning in and being a listener and being a change maker in the world. All right, so let's go ahead and get into it with Dr. Chris Lampert, and you can hear about his organizational operating system and what they're doing over there at Life Remodeled, because it's pretty, pretty cool. They're revitalizing neighborhoods through old schools. Like, this is awesome. You guys got to tune in and listen to what they're doing over there. Holly, I love what you're doing. It's an honor to be with you today. Yay. 
Yeah, so excited. So you have a lot. Now you sent me a book and I love your book. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there right away. Next Level Nonprofit. Really good because as I was looking through the book, it was, there's a lot of graphs. And I was like, I told you that in the green room. I was like, there's a lot of graphs. There's a lot of um, just your principles that you outlined there. Very, very clear. And we're going to dive into these today because they really talk about how to run a very functional business and something that nonprofit, right, is a business. And something that you also mentioned too is it's a real high quality value as far as like setting you up for success in your nonprofit to really run it, your operations very, very efficiently. So important because a lot of people that get into nonprofits, they get into it for passion, right? And all those things, but maybe the acumen, the business acumen, the skills, the, the processes, they might not have that experience with, right? So that's where this book can, and your processes can really come in helpful. But before we get to the book, I wanna talk about you and your nonprofit and what made you write the book? So you help, uh, you're talking about your, uh, you help neighborhoods re revitalization, a lot of what you do. So can you talk about life remodels and what you guys do? Absolutely. I always love to start with why. And the reason why life remodeled exists is because we're absolutely convinced that Detroiters have all the talent they need, but many don't have access to all the opportunities they deserve. And so what we do in response to this reality is we repurpose large vacant school buildings into what we call one-stop hubs of opportunity for entire families to thrive. And we fill these buildings with the best and brightest nonprofits who are moving the needle in three particular areas. Those areas would be one, youth programs, two, health and human services, three, workforce development initiatives. And then we help these organizations collaborate to make far greater impact than they could ever make alone. And the reason why I wrote Next Level Nonprofit is because I'm convinced, and, and in fact, every nonprofit leader I know is convinced of this, that the people that we serve as nonprofit leaders, they deserve the highest level of excellence we can possibly give them. Mm -hmm. And what I've encountered is that um, most nonprofit organizations are so for focused on serving those outwardly that, just as you said earlier, we're often neglecting the inward internal systems and the effort in, 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 in such a way that would actually ensure far greater reach, far greater impact. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so important. And I love what you're doing and just, yeah, you're in Detroit and I'm originally from Detroit area. So it's kind of fun um, to see everything that you guys are doing there, um, you know, down in Motown. <laughs> so it's, it's good to see all of the things that are happening because that is something, and I like how you're linking the three youth health you know, and then workforce development. So linking up those kind of three uh, tangible sectors to come together to be more effective. So are these like, I'm kind of imagining these like hubs as far as, um, are they in certain neighborhoods then that are have those old schools that have been abandoned? A lot, unfortunately, Detroit has been abandoned, right? There's yeah, kind of like about when you think about these vacant schools, you need to picture Harry Potter school rather than a lot of the modern buildings that are built today that kind of look like prisons. But now these school buildings were built a hundred years ago in the center of residential neighborhoods. They were walkable. They were accessible. They used to be beacons of opportunity for academics, athletics, and social advancement. And when a school building closes in a disinvested, marginalized community, in many ways, that's a dagger to the heart of hope. And so we take this painful disinvestment and we turn it into now uh, a center of opportunity 
for not only children's abilities to grow academically, athletically, and socially, but for entire families. And so imagine bringing all these different social services, a boys and girls club, a federally qualified health center, the largest workforce development initiatives in the city, all under one roof. And typically we're putting about anywhere between 20 to 40 organizations in there. But when I started Life Remodeled in 2010, our first four years was very rocky, very messy. All right. Mm -hmm. And then we shifted significantly when we created this system that I'm describing, I'm going to describe today called Next Level Nonprofit. And just to give you an idea of our next eight years, uh, from basically 2014 all the way to 2022, in that time period, we mobilized over $43 million. We um, mobilized more than 77,000 volunteers. We beautified over 2,000 blocks of Detroit, and we renovated four schools in the city. And we gained the highest rating you can possibly have on Charity Navigator and GuideStar, now Candid. Um, and we also have been recognized as one of the best managed nonprofits in the state. And I'm not here today to tell you that I'm this perfect nonprofit leader. In fact, I've made a, a high number of mistakes that actually I could have avoided had I known then mm. what we're now sharing with the world. Yeah, and I love that. And congratulations for all that. It's huge. Like, but I love too like, thinking about these these schools, you know, again, and like you're saying, there's 40 organizations can be in a school, 20 to 40 organizations. And that is so empowering because I notice even in, in my community, a lot of the organizations feel like they're operating in silos. And yes. even if like they're like, okay, well, we're having a fundraiser. And then they're like the next week, they're like, oh, so-and-so is also having a fundraiser that same week, like their main gala. Like just things like that can cross over and then they're tapping out the same sponsors or donors. And there's like this kind of spirit of competition it can be, especially when it comes to grants. So I love that you're putting them together physically. Are you finding that you avoid a lot of that spirit of competition and there's more of a collaboration and an ability to work together more? So that would be potentially very exponential in the, the impact they can have. You know, I think all of us as nonprofit leaders, part, part of us wants to collaborate, part of us doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. The part that doesn't is afraid of the competition, the the pie being limited and so on and so forth. But I think if we all just take a minute and you know, realize this truth that we all know that no one nonprofit has the solutions to all of society's challenges and we're better together. And actually we're seeing this in Michigan. I don't know if this is true all over the country that many funders are actually starting to shift to where they want to give to collaborative efforts because at the end of the day, what do funders want? They want impact. They want measurable, demonstrable, true, lasting impact. And mm -hmm. what or what organizations are finding that are moving into our buildings is that they're actually producing greater outcomes. Because, for instance, take uh, we have the largest literacy program uh, in the region that's in our building. As important as literacy is, it's not the be-all, end-all to success. All of us who are listening today, you know, we were given more opportunities as children than than just literacy. Um, and so there's all these other opportunities present in one building. On top of that, if you have a mom or a dad who is unemployed or underemployed or just looking for a better career, well, in our building, you can walk them down the hall 100 feet and, and they're, they're now accessing these resources. And proximity is really, you know, 75 percent of yeah. uh, overcoming the challenges, because if we if we're five miles away from each other, we might as well be 500 miles away from each other in many ways. Right. And I love that you're going back to the hubs. Like you said, these communities were set up 
constructed, right, with very clear, like, walking distance and all of that. So, like, bringing that community back, like, the heart of the community. And that's so important. So, I love that, yeah, because proximity, uh, there's a lot of one-stop shops, right? We've seen that one-stop shops, even, like, if you're going to go get your business license reviewed and you have to do all the other little things, if it's in one place, so much more convenient. Um, so, so much more impact and more businesses will open just because of that. So I love that with a nonprofit lens. Do you also offer um, like nonprofit training in those hubs as well? Like, um, you know, how to write grants or strategic planning or like something that all of the nonprofits can also benefit from? So we bring in experts in a variety of uh, opportunities, whether it's government funding or grant writing, like you said. In fact, we'd love to bring you in maybe virtually one time. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> And when it comes to next level nonprofit, this is actually one of the key drivers of why I wrote this book is because yeah. we've made this entire system available to where people can self-implement it anywhere, anytime, anyplace. Certainly for our tenants that are in these buildings, it provides a tremendous resource. And then we actually do coach them directly and we can coach organizations all over the country. Um, but when I mentioned tenants, right, our model financially is one in which we raise all of the capital stack for the renovation of the property through philanthropy, through grants, through individual gifts, through corporate giving. Um, and then once we renovate the building, we charge our tenants cost. There's no markup, no profit. What it costs us to operate the building is what they pay. And so that's obviously one of the, the major drivers that leads organizations to wanna be in our building, but that actually that. allows us to be very choosy and we don't allow any organization to move into our space that just wants a really cool place to do administrative work. You know, there's other great places to do that. Yeah. Our mm -hmm. building is about direct services mm -hmm. and, and truly moving the needle um, in the surrounding community. I love that so much. That's so good and needed. And, and kind of like segueing now into the principles in the book. Um, because this is how a lot of those nonprofits can thrive then, right? Based on some of what you've seen. And like you said, you went through a lot of like maybe mistakes or challenges and that's how you've implemented this system. And then you've had other organizations utilize it now and been coaching through it and seeing the success of that. So I know uh, the nonprofits out there are kind of sitting on their seats at the edge of their seats going, what is this process? So can you tell us about your process um, through the book? It's an organizational operating system, and it's not a software, but I do want to use the analogy of a software operating system for just a quick second. So if you think about whether you're an Apple user, you use iOS, or whether you're a PC user, you use Windows, or maybe you, you, you know, you're on your phone, you use Android, the operating system is actually the most important software on the entire device because it will integrate every other program that will ever run on that system. And it makes extremely complex processes appear simple. And that's what an organizational operating system does. And so, so many of us as nonprofit leaders, we're doing a lot of reacting. We're yeah. doing a lot of working in our organization instead of truly working on our organization. I know one of the biggest mistakes I made early on is I didn't truly understand the value of recruiting and developing and retaining the absolute best talent possible. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up cycling through a number of people. We made bad hires, you know, things that I would have caught now and I would have, you know, seen the red flags or the yellow flags. And we didn't truly know how to develop team members if they weren't already rock stars in their own right. 
we didn't know how to grow them and and we didn't know how to recruit the best you know that, that were out there and um eventually i realized that you know obviously the old saying goes if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together in the nonprofit sector building the right team and truly becoming a team of one i'm not talking about just a bunch of superstars who are out for themselves mm-hmm. but building that true team of that dream team enables you to achieve outcomes that were never going to be possible no matter how talented you are or any of us are as individuals and so mm-hmm. that's that is the foundation of our whole model mm-hmm. is the right people in the right seats and how to truly develop that talent and, and, and hire that talent um, and then that's phase one so there's really four major components team unity is one number two is compelling vision number three is right strategy and number four is discipline execution and this is almost as if it's like a flywheel on a car if, if you're not familiar with flywheel the flywheel on a car basically every time you turn over the flywheel on your car your car goes faster and faster and every time you turn over these four components of an organization when you improve them you're going to go to the next level and the next level after that and that's what we're also passionate about as nonprofit people is impact I know I'm not going to get any of us to really geek out on operations, probably. And frankly, I don't geek out on operations. But when they produce more outcomes, now they mean something to me. Right. So I love that. I love building the team. So, you know, this dream team that you mentioned. So how how does one do that? There's a lot. You know, I'm sure everybody in their inbox is getting emailed to be like, hey, I'm a VA. Hire me. (laughs) A lot of like marketing going on in this kind of like, you know, and how... Do you, how do you actually figure out who is your dream team and what skills they should have and all of that? All right. A few pieces. One, we say we look for reindeer. So I think many of us have heard the concept when we think about trying to hire someone amazing, we say, oh, it's almost as if we're searching for this proverbial unicorn that doesn't truly exist. Or even if they do exist, they'll, there's no way they're going to want to come to our organization. Well, you know, I was five years old when I finally discovered that Santa Claus wasn't real. That's a spoiler alert, by the way, for the <laughs> listeners out there. Um, but you know what also happened is I stopped believing in reindeer until I was a teenager, until somebody described to me, these are actually real, right? And reindeer are actually fascinating creatures. And so when we look for talented staff members, we say we're looking for reindeer because they actually exist. But these are basically the, you know, what we might call A players or rock stars. They're the top 10% of people who are in the marketplace who would be willing to you know, work for your organization. And so one of the tools that we've created is called the Culture and Capacity Assessment. And this is a tool that very quickly enables you to know, are all of your current team members, including yourself, reindeer, right? Mm-hmm. And so we break it down. Culture is one half. The other half is capacity. Culture is very simply your organization's core values. And, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm not saying that flippantly because Brene Brown says that in her experience, only 10% of the organizations that she's ever worked with are actually operationalizing their core values. So recruiting reindeer, retaining reindeer, developing reindeer, first and foremost, always starts with what is your culture? Defining mm-hmm. your culture. Once you define your culture, you are making a declaration that you will only hire people who already embody your organization's culture before they join you. And that's such an important part of attracting and retaining reindeer because what reindeer do not want, they do not want to be on teams with non-reindeer. 
-hmm. And this is one of the reasons that organizations experience so much turnover and fail to really explode at the level they're capable of because they're not dealing with people issues within their organization properly. And they, they don't truly have an United team. Okay, so the culture assessment of this is simply define your core values and they should be three to seven, definitely no more than seven, really less is more. Yeah. And core values are not aspirational. They're not, oh, I wish we were like this. They're yeah. who you actually are, right? And then you're scoring people regularly, red, yellow, green. Green means they're exhibiting, they're embodying that core value most of the time. Not not all the time, not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. Yellow means some of the time. Red means usually not. At any point, if anyone on a team ever dips into yellow, you are having a candid conversation with that person within 24 hours, coaching them to help them get back to green. If they don't want to go to green for, for whatever reason, they no longer want to live that culture out, it's time to move them off the bus. The capacity side of the assessment is three questions. Does this person truly understand what their role is? Two, does this person um, passionately, is this person passionately committed to do everything the role requires? And three, does this person have the full capacity to do everything the role requires? And these are very simple questions, but they're actually profound. That first one, this is where a lot of startup nonprofits make a lot of mistakes. And I, I made this mistake so many times. We hire people without truly defining what their job and what their role is, because there's a lot of we don't know what we don't know. And what that leads to is everybody's miserable at the end of the day, because yeah. we don't really know what success is for that individual. And so it starts with, have we clearly defined what the role is? Does the person really know, right? Once they know that, are they passionately committed to do everything? Okay, green, yellow, red. And lastly, do they have the capacity? Do they have the time capacity? If it's a 40-hour-a-week job and all of a sudden their lifestyle changes and they say, I can only do 30, okay, then that, that there's a mismatch there. Do they have the physical capacity, the emotional capacity, so on and so forth? And by using this as a worldview, this, this model, this tool is not about how do we find who we're going to punish today. It's actually, first and foremost, how do we identify who we're going to encourage today? And we create a culture of affirmation where we're consistently affirming people around living our core values and living out their capacity. But when people do struggle, we step in and have candid conversations immediately. And I know this is really hard for us as nonprofit leaders because sometimes we think, well, we love this person so much, we can't really be candid with them. Right. And it's the exact opposite, right? Because if, if we really care about the people we serve, then we recognize, look, if Bob is not high operating at his highest capacity, then the people we serve, they're the ones that are going to lose out, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And is there any um, like intervention? So it sounds like almost like intervention, but like intervention pieces, because sometimes like, what if Bob's just his wife is sick right now or like something, you know, like real world things happen. Like how do we then coach them? Because we know they're a reindeer. They're just like having a moment, right? You're having an issue, right? you use the word I love, coach. And this is one of the things that we teach. We stop calling people managers. We get rid of that word and mm -hmm. we don't call anyone a direct report because direct report connotes hierarchy. Direct mm -hmm. report is about your role as my direct report is to report to me, you know, and, yeah. and so we switch it to where we call people direct supports and instead of managers, we're coaches. So mm -hmm. as a coach, I have direct supports 
because we use that language. My number one job is to remove barriers that are getting in that person's way of being the best and highest version of themselves professionally. Mm-hmm. And my role is to support them as a servant leader. Now there is accountability. Um, and one of our you know, philosophies is if more than one person is accountable for something, no one's accountable for it. And so mm-hmm. getting down your accountability structure is essential. And then the the person who's having that candid, difficult conversation is not a random person. It is your coach, right? Mm-hmm. It is your coach who you've developed a meaningful relationship that's high on affirmation mm-hmm. and high on challenge and creates an environment where you can be your authentic version of yourself in that scenario you just painted to mm-hmm. say, you know what, honestly, here's what's going on in my life. And I acknowledge that I am struggling to live out this core value that I am committed to. And I'm just, I'm struggling right now. Um, I need help, right? Mm-hmm. And then there, you, together you come up with the right next steps. And that comes from the person who's, you know, right. in the position of struggling, you help them, I, they identify themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And if they're struggling to identify it, then, then you help them out a little bit, but it's really a team effort. I love that. I love, yeah. And allowing like that, those kind of conversations, like you said, because a lot of time and taking away, like just even changing the name of some of these titles, because we operate in org charts and we operate in this, right? Like to change that up is to, I've even seen like ecosystem charts instead of like organizational chart. You know what I mean? Like it, just to re kind of structure the the language and maybe even the view of what it can look like will reshape that culture right so have you seen that kind of happening as well you're all over it i mean so you you're totally you you obviously live and breathe this stuff so we call it the function and accountability overview mm-hmm. and one of the first things you'll notice is we invert the chart so mm-hmm. instead of the ceo being at the top the ceos at the bottom because again it visually represents that orientation of a servant leader Mm-hmm. where my role as a CEO is to support my direct supports and so on and so forth all the way up, you know, through the the model. And it's more than just this chart of names and positions. In fact, this is one of the key principles is that wherever you are right now as an organization, mm-hmm. you want to design your seats for your organization, not just where you are today, but where you need to be at least a year from now. And when you design those seats, it's critical that you don't put anyone's name, not even your own, mm-hmm. on these roles and responsibilities. And the reason we call it a function and accountability overview is because the accountability is clear. It flows based on who your coach is, right? The function is write down the four to seven major functions of each of these roles. And again, I'll go back to accountability. Make sure that there's nothing that's happening in the organization that more than one person is accountable for, because if more than one person is accountable, then no one's accountable. And as you develop this function and accountability overview, then you can say, am I the right person for this particular role? Do I truly know what it is? Do I, do I passionately want to do everything it requires? Do I have all the capacity, right? And of course, am I aligned with the culture? And then you do that for your entire organization. And when there's a mismatch, Mm-hmm. Then you can have a very vulnerable, transparent conversation with your team about, you know what, I think we're a little bit off track here yeah. um, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the roles and the seats for where we want to go in the future. Yeah. And yeah. and you go back to the strategic planning, which you're so passionate about, 
and, and you're doing a great job with it. I love what you're doing. And you bring that strategic plan before the whole team and you say, hey, team, if we want to accomplish this, yeah. I think these are the roles that we need to do it. Yeah. And then everyone can come to that conclusion together. And then no one wants to be holding the team back. They either want to step up to that new role, right? Or they want to help you find the right person. Yeah. I, and I love having role resets, right? Like role resets, because also the organization can kind of change the vision, can kind of change, right? Like we have to like, these are dynamic things that happen. So role resets are, are good. They're fun. They're actually like, they can really help the organization, like you said, drive it forward, right? And knowing like, is this you though at this point? <laughs> this was your role before. Do you want to have this, the reset that needs to happen? So I like analyzing it from those different perspectives that you mentioned. Really good. Yeah. So let's talk about, so people, obviously people so important in what you're talking about in your book and they're the main drivers of the organization. So looking at your operational system, people drive it. Um, so you mentioned a few other main points in your book as well. Do you want to talk about one of the other ones and how to run this operational system? Yeah, the next two are compelling vision and right strategy. And those really go together in creating what we would call a two-page strategic plan, which we call next level strategy. Page one answers the question, where are we going? That's your vision. Yep. Page two answers the question, how are we going to get there? And so, um, you know, obviously on page one, typical things that we would expect in terms of mission, we actually don't use the word mission. We just say define why do you do what you do? What do you do? How do you do it? Because those are the words that people use in common language every day. You know, yeah. what do you do? Why do you do it? How do you do it? We also help you create what we would call a 10-year moonshot. And mm -hmm. this goes back to you know the statement that we're all familiar with, former President Kennedy in 1961. He said that we were going to, he said, put a man on the moon. He should have said a person, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to put a, a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth before the decade's out. Now, what we may not recall is that when that statement was said, it was kind of ludicrous because the technology didn't even exist to achieve that mission. And we did not even know the math of how to get that ship back to Earth. But it was a smart goal. It was specific. It was measurable. It was ambitious. Mm -hmm. We changed that A to ambitious. It was realistic. And it was time bound, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if we would have said we're going to go to Mars and back, that wouldn't have been possible then. We could say that now. If we would have said we're going to go to the sun, that's absolutely impossible, right? But we did more than make an ambitious statement. We worked backwards from it, and we actually put the pieces in place to achieve it. And we did it in 1969. And so I, I got to tell you, I can't stand it when nonprofits make aspirational vision statements that they're never truly going to achieve. For example, when an organization says, we envision a world where no child is hungry by the year 2040. It's like, look, if somebody's going to say that, I want to see your plan. And if you have that plan to achieve that, I'm going to be supporting you immediately, right? Yeah. If you don't have that plan, please never, ever say that again. Because what we're teaching people when we say aspirational statements is that we don't actually mean what we say and we don't actually do what we commit to. And we're creating organizations of lethargy and we're going to create donor fatigue because donors are going to take notes. Well, you said 2040 and yeah. 2040's here, right? And so I'm That's all about <laughs> I'm all about creating these very ambitious statements. Yeah. And then we help you to work backwards from that. We break it down to three years, to one year. And then we break it down to 90 days, what we would call quarterly priorities, common language, right? In organizational uh, 
you know, organizational lanes. And that way, then everyone on the entire team is going to establish three to seven quarterly priorities every 90 days that mm -hmm. are fully aligned with your strategic plan. And mm -hmm. everyone's going to know the, that they're a part of it, no matter if they're the bookkeeper, if they're the CEO, if they're the program director, all of these roles are essential and they mm -hmm. can see how they tie into the strategic plan. And even what I'm talking about, you know, right strategy, this, I mean, and compelling vision, it still always ties back to people yeah. because it's about making this vision and strategy palatable, right? Too many organizations have 20 page plus strategic plans that are yeah. doing a wonderful job sitting on a shelf collecting dust. Nobody <laughs> yeah. in the organization knows what's in it, right? Yeah. Yep. It's a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I can tell that we're very much aligned on, on how to do that strategic planning. I love that. And yeah, I love how you're tying it back to people and how that really drives it. Right. And a lot of that's so funny. I just did an interview earlier today and the same thing that they were talking about. Uh, Stephanie Sample was talking about that as far as like the one of the hardest things that she's learned through her business is hiring people, right? And mm -hmm. salaries of contractors and learning about herself. And I was like, I've learned so much about myself <laughs> just going through that process too, right? So it's really important to see how your operations align with the people and how you mesh the two together. And that's really what I think can be helpful. So it sounds like that's what we're doing here. I love also when you're talking about, you know, how do you know if you have the right people in place, how that can help you lead efficient and effective meetings like the best ever you say in your book. So I want people out there to go get your book. Definitely if they're leading a nonprofit or coach, their coach there, um, we want them to get that next level nonprofit book. So anything else you want to say before we wrap up today, Chris? And um, also we'll, we'll let people know that you can definitely check out the book and all the things in the show notes today. You know, I want to say that as someone who uh, has a business degree and, and used to be in the business world that I believe it's absolutely clear as day that running a nonprofit is far more difficult than running a business. And I think that's important for us to acknowledge, right? Because in the mm -hmm. business world, our customers are paying for our goods or services at market value. In the nonprofit world, typically our customers, our clients are not paying, or if they are, they're not paying market value. So we've got to keep our clients happy. We've got to keep our donors happy. We've got to keep our volunteers happy. We've got to keep our board members happy. And we're operating under more difficult constraints. We can't pay people what the for-profit world pays. We can't take the kind of risks they pay. And plus, the work we do is very emotionally taxing. And so I say that all that to say is all of you out there who are leading a nonprofit, serving as grant writers, your heroes, mm -hmm. all the more reason why getting down your operating system is so essential. It's going to save you time, energy, headache from burning out. Let's yeah. not burn out, right? Yeah. Let's do what we came to do at the highest level possible. I love that so much. Yeah, because so often they don't get an applause. So yeah, we applaud all of you out there doing your work because, and that's what we call them here as change makers, because you are definitely change makers out there changing the world, your communities and so much you know, in a very positive, impactful way. And I love how you also just gave validity and acknowledgement. It is harder than running a for-profit business. There's so many more complexities involved. So, you know, a lot of times they forget it's a business, but it's also one of the hardest businesses that you can operate. So, um, yeah, I love that you also are giving the ability and a roadmap then 
to how to do this in the least stressful way where you actually have, um, you know, a playbook, right? So playbooks are real, all the, all the world, right? Are they all the trends right now in the word, but um, it really is important. And playbooks are important to help you and give you a guide so you can run an efficient nonprofit business. So thank you so much, Chris, for coming on again. Where can people find you? Our website is nlncoaching.org, stands for Next Level Nonprofit, and the book's available on Amazon, everywhere where audiobooks are found as well. And I uh, just say, hey, here's to the next level and the next level after that. Oh, I love it. Oh, did you record your own book, your audio? I did. Yes, yes, I did buy too. It's, it's, a, it's a chore. <laughs> it's a... It, it, really, it's, it seems so much easier than it is. But <laughs> as someone who likes to consume audiobooks, Thank you for reading yours. I always want to hear from the author. I want to hear yeah. their emotion, their tone, you know, their why. Yeah, I love that you do that too, because it is. It takes a special person to do it, but you, you you get it through, and yeah, and people can really hear from you the passion behind it. So so good. Definitely um, contact Chris out there, y'all, and we will have the in the show notes all of the links that we talked about today as well. So be sure to check those out. Thanks again, Chris, for coming on uh, the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast. So good to have you on. Thanks, Holly. You're awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode today with Dr. Chris Lampert. For all of today's show notes episodes, go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 310. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for the freelance grant writer wait list. Make sure you get all of the things that we have going on in our hub haven so you can get a stress-free grant writing tip every single week. And you can learn how to master grant writing and how to grow a business that allows you to have more time and flexibility in your schedule and write grants for nonprofits. How cool is that? Once again, go over to grantwritingandfunding.com. And if you love this podcast episode, please do me a favor and leave a review on your podcast player as that does help other folks find this podcast. Once again, thank you for being who you are and a change maker in the world. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.